Welcome to Understanding VC. I am your host Rahul. Understanding VC is a show where I talk to VCs to learn how they work. Today my guest is Erwin Arifin. Erwin is a head of startupindonesia.co, an online market database and intelligence platform that connects Indonesian founders with investors. Prior to that, he was an innovation manager of DG Bank at DBS Bank and an investment analyst at Angel EQ, an angel investor network in Indonesia. Now let's talk to him. Hi Erwin. Thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. My pleasure, my pleasure. Let's start with your background. Where did you grow up? So I I grew up in Jakarta, been here my whole life. Experienced the city from way back when Gojek doesn't even didn't even like exist back in the days. So it's like so crazy seeing how much the city has improved <laughs> with the existence of like tech companies and seeing like firsthand how how much these tech companies impacted our our lives right in Indonesia. So yeah, so so I I graduated from Prasetya yeah. Mulia Business School, which was one of the top business school university in in Indonesia, right? I joined a company called Angel EQ as an investment analyst. Angel EQ is a is an angel investor network consisting of yeah. like a few high net worth individuals from Indonesia, which includes Shinta Denwardoyo, the founder of Bubu.com, Eric Tohir, who is currently our student enterprise minister, Sandiaga Uno, who is currently the the minister of creative economy in Indonesia. And so I, I get exposure to a lot of these tech companies during my time there, and it kind of like opened my eyes because I was mesmerized by the, you can say like a like a egalitarianism of the of the tech community, right? And it kind of feels like back yeah. in the days it doesn't really matter who you are as long as you can execute and you can get your traction number really good, people will believe in you, right? So that kind of like excites me. So long story short, I quit my investment analyst job and try to embark on my own journey, building my own company. Failed eventually. But it's okay because that's part of the entrepreneurship journey, right? You have to fail one uh, one way or the other. And then I decided to like join DBS on their in their innovation team for for digital banking product, DG Bank, right? So I spent like around a year there as their yeah. innovation manager. At the time, like I tackled a few projects like social commerce back when nobody was doing social commerce in Indonesia, and it was so fun because I discovered like what Pinduoduo was doing in China, and I thought, hey, somebody should track the money movement. Of these uh, people who sell on, on Facebook and on Instagram in Indonesia, so that's what I did. That's what I proposed to them. Eventually, got reconnected with my boss at Angel EQ, which was Shinta. Shinta is one of the most prominent angel investor in Indonesia you'll ever meet, because she knows like everyone. He has, she has a very very broad network. So so I view her as as, as my own mentor as well. Right? So I she 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 came to me and she offered me a job at at Startup Indonesia and building this Startup Indonesia platform. So I quit my multinational banking career. To embark on a journey building a company again, right? So that's when I started building Startup Indonesia, and here I am today. Were you always interested in business? What were your interests growing up? Like, why why go to business school? Right. So that that's a very interesting question because at the time, why I decided to go to business school was because I was thinking, what are some of the majors that can accommodate my strongest trait? Which for me at the time, I felt it was like creativity because I was totally into music. I was like, I play music growing up, so I thought like, okay, which which major uh, can I choose, right? And I thought, okay, going to a business school where your final thesis is not like really really making a paper, but actually you have to build something from scratch. That for me is interesting because that's what my university is doing, right? So that's the reason why I I decided to go to a business school because yeah, I wanted to build something and I wanted to utilize my creativity and this is yeah, that's kind of like the start of like a like a ripple effect of how I got here. So I read that you know before startup Indonesia you're working with Bubu, right? Am I right? So what what is that? What was that? So so actually here's the thing. So startup Indonesia is part of the venture being built by Bubu. 
So like Google.com actually like started okay. back in 1996 by this awesome entrepreneur and founder named Shinta that I mentioned previously, right? So she's one of the first tech entrepreneur in Indonesia, one of the OG ones, right? So started one of the first venture capitals in Indo. She was the CEO of Plaza.com, which became Blanja.com, one of the first e-commerce in Indonesia, being funded by the Telkom Group, right? So it's it's being owned by them, right? So I was enticed by her mentorship. And that's kind of like my risk mitigation of why I accept my my banking job and want to build something with her. And she you know she knows like everyone and everyone. Like she started this tech conference called ID Byte, which is one of the first tech conference way back when there was no tech in Asia tech conference. There was no E twenty seven conference, right? So she invited all of these high network guests. Like for instance, like she brought in Dave McClure coming to Indonesia from five hundred startups, which of course has a ripple ripple effects and you know resulting in. 500 startups having their office in Southeast Asia. She invited some of the early Facebook employees coming to Indonesia to speak. Right? She asked. She she actually brought in Kevin Lin from Twitch to uh, to speak in, in our event in 2019 as well. Which that that's like actually where I was the project manager of the ID Byte. Right. So that's the story behind why I joined Bubu. Right. So so yeah. Like so actually, startup Indonesia is part of the venture being built by Bubu. Okay. So I'd like to know more about startup Indonesia and what you guys are doing. Sure. So, startup Indonesia in a nutshell is angelist mid crunch base for Indonesian market, right? One of the reasons why we want to do startup Indonesia, there are a couple of things that we want to tackle, right? The first biggest problem for us is that we see a lot of good founders who have a good traction, but they don't have the kind of background or profile that a VC would want to talk to, right? So the idea is how can we bridge this gap between founders and investors? Right. So that's like the first thesis behind Startup Indonesia. The second thesis is that when you look at the private company data infrastructure in Indonesia and in Southeast Asia, I think bar Singapore and Malaysia, there are no other countries who have a proper like a private data company infrastructure. Right. So like what I meant by that is that if you go to Singapore and you go to Malaysia, they have what they call Accra. Right. So I think the people who are listening who who knows how VC works, I think they would know what Accra is. Right. So yeah. like with Accra, you can just go to their yeah. website. They have an uh, an API there, so you can just pay like five hundred dollars, and you get like fifteen hundred API calls, and like with like fifteen hundred API calls, you can get all this private company data from 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 Singapore, right? Who's in, uh, whose whose company is incorporated in Singapore? Whereas in Indonesia, we do have one ministry who's do, who who has those data, but it's really hard to access it, and it's very very you know it has very rigid uh, bureaucracy and everything. So if you compare the information on the number of startups in in Indonesia, especially. Like if you go to Accra, there are around like two hundred and nine tech Indonesian tech startups in Accra, so they're incorporated in Singapore, right? So these two hundred and nine companies, most probably they are already like well funded. Uh, at the very least, they are being funded by a VC who's incorporated in Singapore as well, right? But the Indonesian government says we have like around thousand. Yeah. And if you go to Crunchbase or you go to Gilroom, for instance, they will say or Traction, they will say that Indonesia Indonesia has like around four thousand startups. So which one is true, right? That's the next problem that we try to solve, which yeah. private company visibility. We quickly realized that to get this data visibility in Indonesia, it's hard to just rely on government data or like publicly available data, right? Because like most often they are like very late. Typically, like when when a founder get a funding, they will spend like an extra, I think, like an additional like three to five months before they really announce the funding, right? So probably by the time you see it on the news, it's probably too late. Or like the data that's being they're being showed. Are probably being you know rack up a bit right because of course they want to impress everyone. 
So that's kind of like the approach in startup Indonesia, right? So how can we bridge this gap between founders and investors and capture this data at the same time? So the answer to that is actually pure networking play. That's kind of like the, the mantra that we have in, in, in Startup Indonesia, which is we want to connect with impact. We want to, how can we connect these people while capturing their data at the same time? So we do a lot of things. We do a lot of A-B testing on how to do, how to capture this data very quickly in, in like 2020. What we realized was that the quickest way to do it is actually to do a networking event. And like we were so lucky because by the time we launched it, COVID hits Indonesia and like everybody was on a lockdown and no VC can ever go to like a networking event and working spaces anymore. Nobody can meet up in like restaurants and, and, and cafes anymore. So they're in need of a networking place uh, online. So that's exactly what we provided in Startup Indonesia. Because what we did was like we did a, an online pitching event, started off with just like five VCs that we approached. And then it became a snowball because we, we, we did it like differently because we curated the, the startups that's coming into us, right? We really like lay out some of the variables that early stage venture capitals use because I have a background in banking and in v, and VCs as well. So I understand like some of the metrics, right? And because of that, we managed to like attract really, really high quality founders. That's A. And B, because of the high quality founders, rumors get around and other VCs started coming to us and asking, hey, kind of how can we be part of your network? So that's kind of like how we grew from zero to currently we have like more than 70 venture capital partners across Southeast Asia. And like for every quarter, I get, I get like, like an additional 20 VCs coming into me like, hey, can I be part of your network? And these VCs are not just coming from Indonesia, interestingly, or Southeast Asia. Some of them came from Europe. Some of them came from like UK, from the US as well, who's starting to see Southeast Asia as a hotbed for like investor money, right? Because of this whole unicorn, new unicorns being announced at an alarming rate this year as well, right? So that's uh, one of the things. And on top of that, we actually already have like more than a, uh, I think we have more than 1,300, 1,300 startup company listed in our platform and more than 3,000 founders also listed in our platform. So that's the play in Startup Indonesia. Yeah. So I read that there is a 37% conversion for startups in achieving a second meeting with the investors. That's true. What do you mean by that? Right. So we tried when we first begin. Of course, like any other, because I trip Startup Indonesia as a startup, right? It's like a startup for startup. So we, what we did was we tried to find what's our North Star metrics for the product, right? So when we thought about it, I think like the, the, the obvious answer to that is the number of startups actually getting funding, right? But for us to achieve that would be very, very hard because at the time we were just starting and we we're just starting to build our reputation. So like to really get a startup to go through a funding, there are so many unpredictable variables going on after that first meeting, right? Like, let's say, what if the founder turns out to piss off some of the partners? What if some other things happen in the, along the way, right? So that's kind of like when we decided, okay, what's the previous round before our funding, which is a follow-on meeting, right? So that's kind of like a proof of concept for us that the kind of founders that we introduce to the VCs are high-quality founders and that these VCs are actually interested in exploring more because that's, that's what we do to the, for the VC ecosystem, right? We give them deal sourcing and lead generation. So how we track this is actually... Of course, we run our analytics with the matrix and everything during the curation process. And we overemphasize on the founder's background. How we came up to the to overemphasizing founder background and traction is actually because we, we create this index that's called SID points, right? So SID points is kind of like an index that predicts the investability of a company. We use machine learning to, to really measure the, the metrics. And we we also give the startups based on their based on their scoring a recommendation on you know which pieces they should talk to first. Right? Because, you know, some of them may be more set to, to talk to certain VCs based on their background. Like, for instance, they're, they're a female background. They're, they're a VCs who's looking to invest more in, in female, right? In, in like female founders. So 
we do that kind of recommendation as well. Or like, for instance, you're a founder that's solving a hyper-local problem. There are certain VCs who, who's only focus on that. There are also some, some VCs also looking more like into like regional players, right? So we do that. And then we, after the whole meeting, we typically ask the VCs, okay, like, who do you want to meet next? And that's kind of like how we track the, the, the numbers. Okay. So so what are those metrics that comprises of this SID points that you mentioned? Right. So we actually track certain certain variables, right? We we go around and interview a bunch of local VCs in Indo. We ask them to help us list some of the metrics that, we, that they use. So we come up with a few. The number one thing is founder's background and then traction and then market size, business model, and then the reputation of their existing uh, investors or like their, their funding stage as well. Because the funding stage gives them signaling whether or not the startup is investable enough because there's other people already putting their money into that right but at the beginning we did it like manually so like we, we would like put in like different weighted average on every variables and then we go around and asking the VCs, is this correct is this how you would how you would want to scale it but along the way we, we we figure out that hey if we only interview a bunch of VCs, it's probably going to be very skewed towards their own investment thesis right but how does the market really think so that's kind of like an answer that we try to answer so that's why we decided to run a build a machine learning model for our SID points. What we did when we trained the model okay. is that we collect around 200 real funded company data in Indonesia from the last two to three years, and then we try to put label into every single data, right? So like for even like for every factors, they have like different variables underneath them. Like uh, uh, to give an example, for instance, like founders background, right? What comprises a founder background? So like for instance, un- university background. Whether or not they go like to a local university, although they go or they go to like international university, is it reputable or not? Are they have they graduated from university? Are they a bachelor degree? Do they have like master's degree or PhD? Right. So that's like the the university background only. And then like we have like working experience. Like okay, like how many years do they have? What is their company background? Are are they reputable? Are they non reputable? Did they come from a unicorn startup? Did they work at a funded company previously? Who are these funded companies? Right. And the third one would be the relevance between what they're building and their previous background. So that's what we did. We like label every single thing. What we came out with was the aggregate of weight on, of weighted average for every variable, right? So we want to see which, yeah, which variable actually contributes the most to a funding decision and what contributes the most to a startup success that enables them to go through like seed to series A to series B and above, right? So what we quickly found out, the number one variable is still traction. Right in a in an ecosystem that's currently being, I think more skewed towards finding the a good story from like like high profile people A founders type of background, it's it's interesting because the market actually says the number one thing is still the numbers and their performance, right? Although the second and the third thing is the founders background, right? So so that's kind of like how we how we build and some of the interesting stuff that we figure out along the way. Okay, so, but how did you get access to this uh, two hundred startups private data? Right. So so we did a bunch of different thing to it, right? I have like a group of six analysts at a time calling around like founders asking like, hey, can we use this to represent data? This is kind of like a, a tried and tested approach anyway, used, used by, being used like by a lot of uh, research company. And so we also utilize like other platforms to, to yeah. check our, our, our data. Like, so we use, we also tap into Accra to, to figure out like whether or not the data is accurate to the one that they report to the government. We use platforms like Traction, like Crunchbase, and also like Venture Cap Insights to really like see and cross-check the data. So, so that's how we do it. Okay. So in terms of, and I saw on your website that, you know, uh, startups can upload their uh, information uh, to, to, to get access to the investors, right? So uh, other than the pitching events, what are some of the other ways that you attract startups to the platform? 
Right. So um, I think I think I think what makes us unique as a platform is that we are quite neutral in the VC scene, right? Because we are not really skewed towards certain group of venture capitals. We are really really in the middle, and so that means what that means is that we can really attract like like high quality venture capitals who are competing with each other for deals, right? So you can get names like Sequoia to 500 Startups to East Ventures to Alpha JWC, Insignia to Kajora, all in all in our platform, right? And I don't think any other people can pull that off because some of them are like being funded by certain funds. And because of that, that's I think one of the reasons why, why we really, really attract like high quality founders. Like so, for instance, we have like founders who came in who, who has a background of like a MIT master's graduate and why this MIT graduate would want to work with us, would want to go through our platform is, is that back to our mission, right? Because it's like pure networking play. If you're a high quality founders, would you would want to join an incubator or an accelerator just to get their network? I don't think so, right? Because um, if you join this kind of program, A, you would have to spend like an extra three months to six months being taught about something that you are probably already know anyway, because you're a good founder, right? And B, they're going to get like a chunk of your equity, albeit like very, very small, right? But still like the cost for me is like too big if you're a triple A founders. So what they really need is just a networking, right? So so that's kind of like how we how we position ourselves because we are pure networking platform for founders to meet to meet investors. And of course, we try to different, uh, we try to find like a, like a business model to, to embed to that, to, to sustain ourselves. But I think that's what makes us really different. And that's kind of like how we track the founders. It's speed pitching, right? That's the pitching event yeah. that you guys do. And uh, pitch up, pitch up is this uh, the connect between VCs and startups. Right, right. So to be super honest with you, pitch up is currently still right. built right now because that's kind of like our way of trying to uh, automate our processes in in our speed pitching event, right? Because in our speed pitching event, we have to spend like an extra three yeah. months for preparation because we want to give some lag time into it. You know, making sure we meet new group of founders as well to give to the VCs and give them give them value but we still do that like manually because it's still an event at the end of the day so what we want to do on pitch up is that we try to automate that right how can we bridge this this network between business and, and startups and that's when that's actually where the sid points come into play because by like up just uploading their pitch deck and uploading some of their data we can already have a good um, measurement of whether or not this is a good or high quality founders and with that we can generate their investability points and with that we can know like which investors that they can talk to first you know, and of course, I think you having been in the in yeah. the VC ecosystem yourselves, right? Um, so you you understand that VCs would sometimes reverse pitch to the founders, right? They would they would find these founders with AAA background, with yeah. you know, like coming from Ivy Leagues, coming from like Stanford or Harvard, like an ex MBB, you know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG background, or coming from like ex unicorn background. They would go to these people and actually reverse pitch their idea, right? So at the end of the day, for the VCs to really have a have a useful networking platform on top you know aside from just using linkedin is that how can you get and how can you access this signaling right instead of just like going through let's say like linkedin sales navigator and figuring out which mckinsey employee suddenly changed their status from an associate to suddenly a stealth founder for instance they can just go through pitch up and signal to the to all these species in our network like hey we're building something and i think for that's kind of like how we would want to build it and that's why we're, we're building pitch up currently Nice, nice. So the, you've heard of this product, right? Seed Scout in the US. Uh, I think it's where a founder got matched. Right. Sherwin, uh, is there similarities between Sk- Seed Scout and Startup Indonesia? I mean, your yeah, product. we we actually took inspiration from them. Uh, so, so you're you're very spot on there. 
but okay. we would want to make ourselves more than just a matchmaking platform right so when we started that's my that that was my my inspiration but as we go along um we realized that we have what what's missing in in our ecosystem is a platform kind of like angelist right so that's kind of like yeah. the, the the end game that we want to move because i think here's here's the interesting statistic right when you compare the funding scheme the, the funding the funding scene in the us and in indonesia actually in in the us the majority of seed round is being contributed by angel investors right well in indonesia the majority of seed round is being contributed yeah. by, by the vcs right what makes angel is unique and us unique as a market is that they have a lot of accredited investors who understand how startup investment work right so if you go to indonesia we actually have like around 27000 high net worth individuals in the market right what i mean by high net worth individuals is that they have a net worth of more than 1 million us dollar and above right so we have that many rich people <laughs> in a nutshell so how can we incorporate this this rich people and you know put in their money to to the startup the the missing link for me is they don't know how how it works and they don't know how to mitigate the risk right and that's kind of like the role of a venture capital because create a company that's being utilized as a gp and that's kind of like their, their role they have to like mitigate the risk of the lps right and what if startup nation can become that platform yeah. that mitigates the risk because we already have a, a machine learning that can predict and try to mitigate those those things so that's kind of like the the long term play for startup nation this has been going around it's like a meme that's been going around for the past two days now i talked to a dozen vcs over the past week every single one asked me who led our seed round nobody asked uh, what our revenue is so is there a similar thing going on in indonesia what do you think there is more signaling than substance oh man i think i think that twit is very very much spot on right i think it's it's so the market works very differently today than it did back in 2017 when i just started because like i think back in 2017 we have a smaller pool of people who would want to risk their career and their life building a company with a very low chance of success right but i think thanks to these people who's who's able to build their company and achieve like a unicorn status like i'm talking like the likes of like william tan wijaya who built tokopedia right he doesn't really have a stellar background so to say i mean of course when you go to gojek and you see nadim having like mckinsey and harvard background that's a different story but i think you know back then there are more founders like like william tan wijaya who can execute really well although they don't have a like a like a stellar background He has an okay background, but not that stellar, right? I think the way the market works currently is that because the competition for seed deals is becoming more and more competitive, people started to go way ahead of their competitors, right? What I meant by this is if you if you're a VC and then you meet with a company who who already who's who's already running, already has a proper traction and has a good founder background. You're probably already too late because they're probably already being like funded by other VCs, right? That means you're missing out on a deal. And how you don't miss that kind of deal is you go to the founders first, right? So the the signaling I think goes even beyond than just like saying, "Hey, Sequoia, let my seed deal," or like, "Hey, SoftBank is talking to us," right? I think it goes beyond that. In Indonesia, like some VCs actually really really go through LinkedIn and trying to find out who are some of the Indonesian diaspora. who's studying in Harvard or in Stanford and asking them hey are you building a company after this let's catch up you know or like they they're like talking to this McKinsey associate or senior associate or they're like finding figuring out who's going to quit Gojek or who's quitting Tokopedia and looking to build a company and then they try to approach them back when there was nothing so and when you find a kind of founder who has a top 100 university background plus you have a stellar corporate experience as well i think 
that guy or girl will become the the magnet for VCs, right? Because all the VCs will want to talk to them once they talk VCs and they're like, yeah. like engage with one. The VCs will like yeah. really really try to keep them around. And I think we're seeing a lot of deals coming in in the last one year that has that kind of story, right? Where the company still just have like around maybe like five thousand US dollar revenue per month, but they're only like receiving seed to like Series A kind of round, or the company doesn't really have any assets, so to say, but they already achieved like. 100 million 200 million dollar valuation and that i don't know for me i think that's kind of like the byproduct of the market being more competitive and kind of like the byproduct of i think that's also a good signaling to the to the broader market right because that means a lot of a lot more people starting to see stack investment and startup investment as the go to place and the best place to make money right because like previously you have to back people to to give you money to invest in a tech company these days if it's not a tech company people probably don't want to talk to you Right, so I think yeah, it 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 has a it, I think it's a two-edged sword, right? And on one side, it gives like a good signal to like the broader market, but on the other side, like hey, shouldn't we talk more about the sustainability uh, and then about the real your real financial model and your your like PNL and everything, you know? So so I think it's a two-edged sword. What I mean, what I know, what do you think, Rahul? Yeah, it happens in every market. So uh, I've heard that in the U.S., you know, if you're a Stripe employee uh, and then you are st- starting to build a, a a business you you just need to just mention that to any vc and they would fund you <laughs> right 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 <laughs> so that's one thing and in in, in india uh, if if you're from iit or iim which are like the ivy league equivalent of in the us you're more likely to get funding because it kind of makes sense as well because th- these are some of the smartest people in the country right right uh, right so when there is a lot of competition and then you have to quickly find <laughs> It it makes sense to bet on people like this. It's it's a lot harder to look for people who do not have these signaling. It's so funny because the more the market works this way, I think like moving like two or three years from now, when I run my SID points analytics, I think the the number one the number one variable would like move up to like the CEO's background, whether or not they come from a stellar background, right? It's not because of the the way the market works. It's just like because of VC signaling, like like what what you mentioned, right? So that's actually. Uh, it's it's so funny because that's one of the reason one of my thinking process on why I want to build uh, SID points at the at the beginning because I thought hey is it true that the founders who come from Harvard or coming from from Stanford are better from founders who come from a local university in Indo like, like how about like William Tanwijaya right who who came from from Binus and has a very very humble background but he still managed to build a company that's worth billions of US dollars right and one of the first unicorns in Indonesia and one of the biggest e-commerce uh, in the region as well. Yeah, it's just for for me for me that's kind of like the mission of startup Indonesia as well, right? I mean, that's why we build a pure networking play because we want to be the hero of these people who 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 can execute, but when they send out their their pitch deck to the VCs, probably they won't batch an eye because they don't have a good background, right? But what we do is that we really really look at the numbers. So like the I wouldn't call it an investment thesis because because we don't really invest our own money, but kind of like our thesis in startup Indonesia is that. You know, like every VCs have their public email, right? Like for instance, like info at let's say isventures.com or something like that. So this this email, this inbox is probably going to be neglected by most VCs because probably they don't have a they don't have the resources and b uh, like I think like 80, 90% of them are junk anyway, right? And then the C, their argument would be, hey, yeah. if they're not good enough to to have a network to me, why should I even bother talking to them because they don't even know how to network, right? But our thesis is that from those Uh, junk emails of like 80 90 percent what if there's like at least five to ten percent of like hidden gem 
Right. So so how we discover that is that we really really yeah. take in take a look into their numbers and take a look into their pitch deck and take a look into their analytics. And that's kind of like what we do. And we want to champion these founders who are being neglected previously. But of course, before we do that, first thing first, we need to get our reputation and our integrity being acknowledged by the VCs. And that's kind of like uh, where we are currently at the roadmap. So in your opinion, do you think there is like a missing link in the VC value creation in the, in the, in the Indonesian ecosystem? Right. I think that's a very interesting question. I think like, like what we discussed previously, right? With the market being super skewed towards finding the next founder, meaning going into sit-around deals, the venture capital markets for seed and pre-seed deals are getting very, very packed right now because it's not just being competed by Indonesian funds, but also regional funds and also international and global funds who's looking to start seeing like Southeast Asia as the, as the hotbed, right? So with that being said, I think although some VCs has already gone this route, but I think not enough funds have looked into pre-IPO and, and, and like growth stage deals, right? What I meant by this is this, right? If you look in the, into the last year, there are so many unicorns being born and so many startup achieve Centaur status, right? Centaur meaning they have a valuation between 100 mil to like 1 billion US dollar valuation. And, you know, even like Crescent have this, have this pool called Sunicorns, right? So what we call them the Sunicorns. There will be a need for the yeah. Sunicorns, uh, for, for somebody to help support the Sunicorns to bridge and actually jump to the finish line of achieving that unicorn status. And typically, right, I mean, typically the way the market works is that once you achieve unicorn status, you would want to go public. You don't want to go IPO. So I think that's a missing link that um, I think most people will start to look into in the near future because of the signaling of all the unicorns being announced today, right? So a good approach to that is that, especially looking at Indonesia as a, as a market, right, we probably have the biggest market in Southeast Asia due to our geographical size and due to our population size. We're, we're the fourth most populated country in the world. Population. And we have the biggest uh, number of internet users and, and internet penetration as well in, in Southeast Asia. So in that sense, if I am an Indonesian investor, I would approach Sunicorn companies or Centaur companies or at least like Series B companies in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Singapore, and Malaysia, and give them or offer them an Indonesian express ticket. What I meant by that is that, hey, I know you can execute really well because you've done well in your country, but what's missing from you is the market size to go beyond the next line. And that's probably why some of the, some of the unicorns currently are having a regional approach, right? Like Finaxel, they're not just based in Singapore, but they're also expanding to Indonesia. Karsam, Karo are also expanding to Indonesia and they just achieve unicorn status and everything. So that should be an approach, that, that should be an interesting approach, right? Because then I can, I can offer money to these companies in, in Singapore and Vietnam or in Philippines and saying, hey, you take my money. A, your valuation is going to go up because of the post-money valuation. And then B, now your, your valuation is going to spike because now you have the market size to compete with the rest of the, of the regional players by going to the biggest market that is yeah. Indonesia. That's why people are saying, hey, if you don't have any plan to go into Indonesia, as well, I wouldn't even bother giving you my money. So that's kind of like, I think that's the missing link currently. Yeah. I guess at some point, Tiger and SoftBank will try to do this. <laughs> Maybe they can't really do it because, yeah, you, you would want that the market understanding yes. and uh, yeah, local expertise. Yes. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Raul, for, ha- for having me. If you like this podcast, please follow Understanding VC wherever you're listening to this and also share it with folks who might be interested. Thank you.